0: All right. So tonight we are picking up where we left off with First Thessalonians, and I just want to give a quick recap. First um, Thessalonians is it's an early letter written by Paul um, when when Paul entered Thessalonica. He entered with Silas and Timothy by his side, and they enter and they spent several weeks there ministering to the to the Thessalonians, and as and as they ministered to them, Jews, the Jewish people got jealous and, and they traced them out of the city. And, and their quick departure left the Thessalonians to fend off opposition on their own. And, and, and so they're, as these are sheep, sheep that are young Christians, young in their faith. And they're left to fend off the wolves on their own. And because of that, these three ministers, as they ran off, they were so worried. They were so filled with uncertainty about what's going to happen with these Thessalonian Christians that they decided to send Timothy back to check up on the church. And it's it's on that report that Timothy gives to Paul later on, after Timothy went back to Thessalonica, it was that report, Timothy gave such positive news good news about the Thessalonians' faith, how they were standing firm in their faith and they were maturing. And this caused Paul to write this letter, to write First Thessalonians. And what we have it in our hands, in our Bibles is a pastoral letter. It's one written with tender care and love. Paul, Paul spends, you know, first three chapters just affirming the Thessalonians' faith and affirming his love for them. And most of all, Paul continues to thank God. Thank God for his protection, his faithfulness to the Thessalonians to keep them strong in their faith. And what we're going to look at tonight in our passage, is that we're, going to, we're going to look into Paul's heart. We're going to get an inside and look into his heart. And we're, we're going to see how he's truly a spiritual parent to this church. The separation between him and the Thessalonians it, it created this this canyon between them, and his heart ached and burdened for the Thessalonians. In the first Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen to chapter three, verse five, we are going to look at two particular burdens upon Paul's heart. This. And it's these burdens that continue to gnaw at him, grow in him during this time of separation. And these burdens demonstrate his shepherd's heart, his tender care, and his deep love for the church. And so the title of our message, Separated But Not Alone, Paul is showing them that they may be apart physically, but they are never separated spiritually. The Thessalonians will always have Paul praying for them and ministering to them from afar. And in many ways, Paul's heart is a reflection of how many pastors feel today in the midst of this pandemic. COVID-19 may have separated the church bodies. And and none of us can meet each other physically to encourage each other in this way. And and for pastors, it, this is especially difficult. Pastors want to be with their flock. They're they're not sure how to care for them, many of them transitioning to do all these things online to, to constantly be on one call after another while they want to do it. It's, it's difficult and it's hard. And we have to remember that every pastor is called by God to shepherd his flock, to feed his flock, to tend to his flock. And it's, it's a conviction that's placed upon their hearts that this is not just a job. This is a calling by God. And yet what we will see here in our passage tonight is it's not just the heart of a pastor, but it's a heart that all believers should have for one another. It's it's a heart that demonstrates the church's love for one another. It's a love that unites the body together. And so, yes, pastors, Paul is speaking from a pastor's heart, from a shepherd's heart. And, and pastors play an important role in your life. But we will also see that it is the ultimate joy for the pastor when you respond in the same faith, in the same love for one another. And we will see that these two burdens that Paul has are two burdens we should have for each other. So let's go ahead and read the passage first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. I'm reading from the ESV. This is God's word. Joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand. That we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. The first burden that we will look at would be Paul's desire for the Thessalonians' presence. We see that here in, in chapter 2, verse 17, 20, that Paul here wants to be physically present with the church. He wants to be here with the Thessalonians. He wants to greet them face to face. And, this, and he says here that he has been torn away for a short time. We see here in the circumstances that the circumstance that 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 overlays this letter, this, this passage is that there's the separation, a physical separation between Paul and the church. And, and this, this happens kind of throughout Scripture. I mean, the reason why we have epistles, letters written by these apostles, by these men of God, the reason why these biblical authors are writing these letters is because they're separated from their flock. And they're, they're writing these letters in hopes to encourage them. But in these letters, we get little nuggets Little nuggets of of their heart longing for more than just writing to them. They want to be with them. For instance, in Romans, Paul writes a letter to the Romans church, never once meeting them in person. But as he writes to them, he writes and in there in chapter 15, verse 24, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul here is saying to the Roman church, I I want to meet you guys. I want to be encouraged by you, even though you're not my final destination. I'm I'm going to I want to go to Spain and reach the unreached people there. But let me be let me have fellowship with you first and be encouraged. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 26, Paul gives this exhortation the church he says greet all brothers with a holy kiss and we can make fun of what a holy kiss is but that requires that requires physical contact that requires us to greet each other face to face apostle peter says the same thing in chapter 5 verse 14 to greet each other with a holy kiss and then the apostle john the apostle john writes he wrote the gospel of John, but he also writes three short letters that's located towards the end of your New Testament. And then 2 John, verse 12, 2 John, verse 12, John writes this. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. He says the same thing in another letter in 3 John. He says the exact same thing. I hope to see you and talk to you face to face. Now, going back to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at the language that Paul here uses to describe his separation. The language here is really, really strong. It's probably some of the strongest vocabulary that we have to speak about physical separation. In verse 17, Paul says, We were torn away from you. We, referring to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Torn away. The Greek word for this is ap- Aporphanizo. It literally means to make it orphan of. I believe the NIV literally translated that way to make it orphan of, but by means of separation. Paul here compares their forced exit from Thessalonica. He compares that to a child being torn away from his parents. So Paul was heartbroken to leave Thessalonica. I mean, he only had a few weeks there. Compare his time in Thessalonica to his time in Ephesus, for example. He spent three years in Ephesus ministering to the people there. For the Corinthian church, Paul wrote two letters to them. And, and Paul spent about 18 to 20 months in Corinth, ministering to them. You can only imagine just how much longer he would have wanted to stay in Testonica. And yet he was forced to leave after just a few weeks. This is like being on a mission trip where you make a disciple on the, on the second day you're there. And for and for the next two weeks, you're you're ministering to this person that that was converted, and you're teaching him or her the Bible, and you're you're watching this person's faith grow exponentially. But then, after two weeks, your time there is done, and you you leave, and you leave. You're in, and you leave with some uncertainty, unsure if this one disciple is fully equipped for the trials. That he or she's gonna face in their walks with Christ. It's, it's no wonder why for short-term trips we tend to go back to the same place over and over again. We want to, because as we go back, we we hope and pray to see that same person we've ministered to. Because that tells us that they remained faithful. That here what Paul is hoping for. And Paul here wants to go back. He tries to go back. Verse 18, we see that he's trying again and again, himself just going back to see the Thessalonians again. But there is someone stopping him Satan. Here we see the threats. Satan is hindering. Hindering them from returning back to Sonika. Like the word here translated for, for hinder, it's, it's, it's a military term. It's often used to, to talk about soldiers stopping an advancing army. And so these soldiers will set up robots, They'll dig ditches and they'll put up barricades in order to stop and hinder a, a threat that's coming to your city. And so Satan here is trying to hinder the progress of the gospel. And we have to remember in reading this that there is a force in this world, a spiritual force, that's trying to stop the church from fulfilling the Great Commission. Satan and his legion of demons, they're roaming about, they're doing whatever they can to stop the advancement of the gospel. And we, the church, are under their attack Now, when we read this passage, we have to be slightly careful. Paul here does not specify how Satan is stopping him. And I don't think it's right for us then to really venture towards, okay, how exactly does Satan stop us? In other words, we cannot take this verse and start applying it to, you know, all these things that's happening in our lives. Like, you know, if you happen to wake up late one Sunday morning, you end up going to, you end up missing service. You cannot blame Satan for oversleeping your alarm clock. Paul here does not specify how Satan is stopping him because that is not the point of what Paul is trying to make here. Paul just wants Thessalonians to know that he indeed tried to return. He tried. He, he didn't just get booted out of Thessalonica and moved on to the next city. He, he, he wanted to go back. He may have left them physically, but his heart was still with them spiritually. Satan may have stopped him from physically returning, but Paul continues to long for them, to pray for them. and He wanted to be there to minister to them. And so he did what he could. He prayed. He wrote this letter. He sent Timothy back. He did what he could to minister to them from afar. This... Here is a true heart of a shepherd. And Paul does all this. He does all this for a goal. A goal to rejoice with the body of Christ. He asks here a rhetorical question in verse 19. He, he, he asks, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Now we, we read this question. We, we, can, we immediately think the answer should be God, should be Christ. We think, yeah, God is our hope. God is our joy. He's the one who satisfies us. We should be boasting in the Lord. But the answer that Paul gives is surprising. Paul says it's the Thessalonians who are his hope, joy, and crown of boasting. Again, we, we have to let context Help us understand what Paul means here. You see, Paul, Paul's not replacing God with the testimonials. We have to first notice that this entire question is placed in the context of the future. The future of the coming Christ. Paul is speaking about his hope and joy before Christ at his coming. And so the coming of Jesus Christ here refers to his second coming, the time when he will return back to earth to establish the kingdom of God and exert his authority over all things. Paul here speaks consistently about the coming of Christ. And in fact, that's, a, that's one of the major themes of 1 Thessalonians. And, and it is, it's in that light of understanding our future that helps provide context for who we are to be presently eschatology the study of end times it's it helps provide the context and motivation of how believers have to live today you, you can you can see it somewhat in a way um somewhat like say dating the marriage when when you when you date the way you date will be very indicative of how you view marriage in the future how you understand marriage provides perspective for how you apply that into your daily, in relationship day, and even for how you are to live singly today, you see here this language that Paul here uses. He's, he's thinking about the future, and he's and he's looking at the he's looking at the Thessalonians. He's thinking about the Thessalonians. And he's saying, "You are my joy. You are my glory." Paul. Paul speaks about the people he ministered to this way um, in different spots in scripture. Thessalonians are not his only pride and joy. For instance, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says this in Corinthians, just as you did. Just as you did partially understand this, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. And perhaps the best place to really understand what Paul is talking about here is found in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We have the well-known verse, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he goes on to explain what he means by to live as Christ. If you have your Bibles turned there, Philippians chapter one, verse 24, Paul writes this, but to remain, but to, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We see here that as long as we live here on this earth, we have a mission to make disciples and to bring people to worship Christ as Lord. This is the purpose of Paul's life. This is the purpose of your life. No believers is exempt from the Great Commission here. And so imagine then the great joy and bliss you receive when you reach heaven and you come before Jesus Christ and by your side, you see the fruits of your labor. You see that person you minister to worshiping with you. You see that person you converted on the mission trip and you spent two weeks with there with you at the end. And you know, your labor was not in vain Imagine how much pride will swell up in you, not because you saved them, but because Jesus Christ rewarded your labor by saving them. How much more worship will you give God when you see that? And this here gives us the eternal perspective for how we look at ministry. Paul says later in Philippians, That if he's able to sacrifice his life for them, he would do so proudly. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 16, Paul says this. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In the same way, Paul looks upon the Thessalonians. And though Paul cannot be with them right now, they are still his source of joy, hope, and pride and he cannot wait to see him face to face in heaven before the lord jesus my friends it and, and friends and guests who, who may be on this zoom call the pastoral staff at this church Hanley, myself we all feel the same way for you in these days we long to be with you and though the circumstances do not allow us to do so, we constantly pray for you. And then, But it's in the midst of these trials we, we don't lose hope. The pastoral staff has continued to look forward to a day when, we're all, when we can all see each other again. And I'm sure you do too, that you, we all together as one body long to be together again, especially when church reopens but we don't look forward to just this one day. We look forward to a day in heaven when we're able to worship Christ free of sin together for all eternity. Because for us pastors, when we see that you're there with us in heaven, we know that our labor has not been in vain, that you have remained faithful to the end and that we can all then live together in eternity in the worship of our Lord. What is then your crown of boasting? What do you look for when you minister to your own brothers and sister? What is your eternal perspective in your ministry? Our second burden that we look at for Paul here is It's his desire for the perseverance is related to the first burden. And we see here in chapter three, verses one through five, that Paul, though Paul could not return to Thessalonica himself, he did send Timothy back. And he did this because of the context that they're in. And that context is that Paul and the church were facing affliction. He wanted to make sure that the faith of the Thessalonians remained strong in the midst of opposition. Paul knew that when the Jews, when the Jewish people drove them out of Thessalonica, the Jewish people weren't gonna stop there. They were gonna persecute the remaining believers in the city. So Paul here, Paul here knew this. And he knew this even before he left. Right? It says here. Right in verse, in verse four, he says, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as they come to pass. And just as you know, in the same way that affliction has now come upon them. See, suffering, suffering comes upon the church constantly. Suffering comes upon the church constantly. And we have to remember that we as Christians, we, we should be no strangers to afflictions. The church has always been persecuted since his birth. Jesus said we will suffer on his account." To follow Jesus Christ is to follow a road of suffering. Paul understood this completely. In his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells this to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in Luke 14 Jesus Christ himself tells us that we must count the cost of discipleship that following Christ will cost you everything this is no small matter of faith your comforts your security all of it will be tried when the, when the, when the disciple Peter was was looking at Jesus and he he was responding to what happened between the rich young ruler and Jesus. He says in Luke 18, verse 28, See, Lord, we have left our homes and followed you. These disciples knew they left everything, including the comforts of their own home in order to follow Christ. In the same way, all who proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior must understand that suffering will come Paul warned the testimonies of this. He warned them, even though he was there for a few weeks. He imagined being early in your conversion, that you just found Christ in your full joy, and then your disciple comes along and tells you, "Hey, by the way, the road is just going to get harder." You see, that's the kind of truth we need to tell. We need to tell our disciples that this road is not easy. That indeed, you will be tried. In situations like the one we're facing now, where where the church is split apart, we this should, it should not surprise us. The church has always been has been not always, but the church has been scattered before. I mean, even in, in the scriptures, the James, brother of Jesus, when he wrote his letter to the Jewish Christians, he he addresses to the diaspora. These are Jewish Christians scattered across the land. Peter, Apostle Peter, when he wrote his letters to the Christians, he he wrote to exiled Christians who were exiled far away from their homes. They were scattered far and wide because of persecution. Church history was filled with Christians living under harsh conditions. In England, the Queen Mary, well known for her title as Bloody Mary, named because of all the Christian martyrs that she has caused under her rule. We know in China that the underground church has to hide because of the government oppression of religion. And, and in other, today in other closed countries like Iraq and North Korea, Christians continue to remain hidden from the public's eye, unable to meet together. And so what we're facing today what we're facing in our lives right now in this pandemic, even beyond this pandemic, even in the current cultural opposition to religion that we have in America, or the moral battles that we've seen and faced and we read in the news all the time, none of that should discourage us. The church has long survived, has long survived all afflictions because of the faithful hand of God. And so instead of worrying about our current condition, physical condition, instead we must look to stand firm in our faith. Because in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of when our physical lives is being tried over and over again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual enemies. And here again we see Satan working, using these trials to tempt us, to tempt us to fall away from the faith. This is ultimately what Paul's worried about. You see, in the midst of physical affliction, Paul's concerned not just for their physical well-being, and he does care their physical well-being but more importantly he wants to make sure that their spiritual health was intact and so we read here in chapter 3 verse 5 paul says for this reason this reason of affliction when i could bear it no longer i sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter has tempted you in our labor will be in vain see whenever trials come temptation is never far behind consider how trials tend to test you spiritually right when you happen to not get a good night's sleep how much more prone to anger are you when someone cuts you off in the freeway or you're stuck in traffic you're late to a meeting you're late to a presentation that you're supposed to give how how do you feel what's your reaction do you grumble to God about your situation? when you're hungry and, and you have no time to eat how much more impatient are you? you see here our physical trials our physical trials it's ultimately about our hearts. It's about our spiritual health. When, when your circumstances are not ideal, when your circumstances are not ideal, that's when you tend to fall into sin. James make this, makes this quite clear in his book. James constantly tells us that the trials of our lives will, will just will not only test our physical endurance, they will test our spiritual endurance. In James chapter one, verse twelve, he talks about trials. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then right after that, James says this in verse thirteen Let no one say, When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. You see, James understood when there's trials, the greatest trial will always come in a of temptation to pull us away from the faith. Paul here is afraid that Satan will use these trials to tempt the Thessalonians away. And again, think about the role of a shepherd. A shepherd is supposed to lay his life down for the sheep to protect them from the wolves, to keep them from falling astray. And right now, the Thessalonians earthly shepherd is missing missing in action and the tempter is on the prowl like a roaring lion waiting to pounce on these unexpected sheep so paul here's concern and so when paul sent timothy back to check on their spiritual health he he sent them he sent timothy back to see how they're doing but he also sent them back with another purpose it says here in verse 2 he says he's, we sent timothy to establish you in your faith. He wanted Timothy here to help him stand firm, to cement their confidence in God, to affirm their salvation in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation. How many of us need that kind of encouragement from each other during our hardest trials? We see here the goal of Paul's heart is for all of us to run this race and endure to the end. We have here the heart of a pastor wanting them to continue on faithfully. But this is not just the heart of a pastor. Again, this is the heart that we all should have for each other. That we are all in this race together and we are pulling each other coming on. And one of us gets tired. Another one of us comes along and encourages them to move. We see here that when we talk about discipleship, we're not just talking about evangelism. The Great Commission tells us that we are to teach them how to obey the commandments of the Lord. In order to teach them how to live a faithful life, discipleship focuses on teaching and building the faith of each believers to endure to the end. During this time, during this time when we are all stuck at home and we're reading on the news that people are suffering from this pandemic that's going on, jobs are being lost, people are getting sick, and and, and people's mental health are suffering. And, and we're dealing with all this. And we sh- and our hearts should break over all this. It's tragic hurts it's painful but the greatest and biggest heartbreak is if we come back to church and we find that one of us is no longer walking with us that one of us has fallen away from the faith because no one was around to help him or her walk with God that that will be the greatest heartbreak Friends, how are you doing? What is your spiritual state now? How's your small group doing? How's your discussion group doing? How is that one friend you brought as a guest to IT many months ago doing? See, Paul sent Timothy because he had great concern for the church. But Paul here was also encouraged. We will see in our next passage, which we will preach on next time, that Timothy returned with a positive report, an encouraging report. And and my friends, as we slowly start to open back up California and one day church will be open again, when we come back together, we will want to hear a positive report. I... I would love to see each one of you guys, but what will make me even more joyful is if I get to hear how you have grown and mature in your faith during this time. I want to see you come back as a more mature Christian. I want to see that you have stand firm in your faith and grow in your walks with God. And so here then we see how these two burdens of Paul's are connected. He desires for their presence. And if he cannot be united with them in this life, he then awaits for their union in eternity. But in order to reach that point of eternity, we must endure. We must endure and stand firm in the midst of afflictions and temptations. Here we find... How our personal perseverance contributes to our corporate union with one another. How each one of us, it matters. It matters how your brother is doing. It matters to our joy. It matters to our hope. It matters to who we are in the identity of Christ. The big idea for our passage tonight... Stand firm and united in your faith in the face of opposition and temptation, under the tender care of your earthly past shepherds. Finally, I want us to constantly again point to Christ. Point to Christ, who your pastors, myself, are trying to imitate so you can see Christ, because he is the great shepherd. Look to Christ who unites us all together in his name, secures us by his blood. You see, Jesus understands exactly what you are going through. Remember that Jesus was tempted in the harshest conditions. He was alone and hungry in the wilderness. When Satan came with him with with temptation after temptation. And Jesus did not fail. He faced trial to trial and his faith never wavered. And ultimately, Jesus went to the cross. He died. And he rose again from the grave for you. And right now, though Jesus may be separated from his bride, he awaits our arrival. What is your hope? What is your joy? What is your crown of boasting? Is it not to be with Christ with the rest of your spiritual family? Let us not neglect to continue to do good during this time. Let us continue to encourage one another and exhort one another to be faithful to the end. For until God calls you home, you have a job to make disciples and help them endure to the end. Let us all do that together as one body, as one family. With that, let me go ahead and pray for us. And I'll hand it back to Calvin. I do have discussion questions. I'll go and quickly put them up right here. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We will gather together and dig through your word. And we see here in your word how you have provided for us people into our lives to help us in our walks. And it's so good, Lord, to know that you do not leave us alone. That, Father, you constantly bring together believers side by side to encourage one another. And so, so, Lord, let us not neglect our calling. Let us not neglect the Great Commission. Let us continue to remember that now is the time to make sure we are enduring to the end, so that we may be faithful. Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything you have done for us. God, thank you for understanding what we're going through. Thank you for sending Christ to the cross so that we may be saved. Let us then look to you as our joy and also look side by side to see how you make sure our labor is not in vain. Let us worship God together as one body. Be with us, be with us as we go into our breakout rooms and Talk through our lives and see how we can encourage one another. Be with us as we continue to exhort one another towards Christ. I pray all this in your name. Amen.